What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. As always, I'm your main man, Justin Michael, and we are going to be talking college football today, specifically the 2007 season, which, as some of you probably remember, is just one of the, the craziest sporting seasons of anything that, that I can definitely remember. And I had a lot of fun kind of going back and, and researching some of the, the chaos because obviously I experienced all of this live, but you know, a lot happens in 13 years. It's amazing how much of the you know small details you kind of forget. So I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are gonna enjoy just kind of hearing about some of that chaos again, thinking about just how fun that season was. But I'm also gonna talk about the 2007 season from CSU's perspective because that was Sonny Lubick's final year in Fort Collins. Really kind of an interesting year when you when you go back and you look at some of the games, you read about it. They finished three and nine ultimately, but I do think that Rams team was a lot better than that record shows. So it'll it'll kind of be fun to go down through all of that as well. Gonna start with the CSU stuff since it is a you know a CSU podcast after all. And then after that, we're just going to kind of talk about the 2007 season as a whole, go over some of the significant moments, the crazy upsets, just kind of talk about everything that happened and reminisce a little bit since, you know, we're not going to be getting any college football in Fort Collins this fall. The, uh, the Rocky Mountain Showdown would have been this weekend. It just, it sucks. It sucks a lot. So going to do what we have to, going to get really creative and just kind of talk about college football in different ways this fall. It's really, you know, all we can do is just kind of keep pushing forward, keep trying to strive and keep persevering. It, it's been frustrating for a lot of people. It's going to be oh, just such a long fall. It's it's really going to set in once some of the other games start playing. I, I talked about that a little bit on the podcast the other day, but it's just going to be so, so weird with with no college football this fall. I'm so used to to having that schedule and going to the to the weekly press conferences and going to practice and hanging in the media room and, you know, shooting the breeze with the guys from the Colorado end and reporter Harold and, you know, maybe the Denver post, if they show up to that day or, or something like that, you know, it's just, it's so weird to, to not be in that routine right now. You know, in, in the 2013, 2014 seasons, I was an intern for CSU football on the McElwain staff worked a little bit in 2015 on Bobo's staff ended up kind of, uh, go in my own way after spring ball. And then that's kind of really when I started to focus on media as, you know, what I wanted to do. I, I was blogging at that point, but that's really when I, I kind of buckled down and decided I want to do journalism. So I got involved with the collegian and then, you know, all that. So now I've been covering the team for about five years. So really for like the last seven years, I, I've just been in this routine of, of CSU football all fall. And now it's just not here. And and it's just daunting. It's it's like, what do I do? It makes me reassess, you know, what kind of hobbies I'm really I'm trying to get back into shape, but it's it's a struggle. I don't know. I, I got really sidetracked here. Let's let's talk about the 2007 season. Before we do though, gotta shout out our homies over at Breckenridge Brewery. If you're looking for an awesome socially distanced outdoor dining setup. The Breckenridge Farmhouse is the place to be really gorgeous. They have awesome variety, really killer food. If you don't want to go, you know, eat in person, I get it. Some people are only comfortable doing takeout at the moment. That's fine, too. They, off they also offer takeout. 
When you call, just mention DNVR with your order. You can save five bucks. That's super clutch. And then obviously, you know, if, if you're just drinking beers, maybe you're not looking for a fancy meal. Maybe you just want to pick up a six pack, a 12 pack, bring it on home. The Breck Beer Locator will tell you the closest liquor store, grocery store, Costco, King Supers, you know, near you that'll have that ice cold Breckenridge brew. The Avs just forced game seven. You know, it just seems like a perfect time to pick up a 12 pack of Avalanche Ale. You really can't go wrong with it. I've, I've joked about it in the past, you know, the Avalanche Amber Ale, along with Blue Moon, but mostly the Avalanche Amber Ale was kind of the first quote unquote, you know, adult, fancier beverage that I drank. May or may not have been 21 the first time that I consumed one, but it's just been one of my go-to beers for years. Now's the perfect time. The Avs Force Game 7. It's victory juice. It's victory fuel, whatever you want to call it. We need it. Go Avs. Go Breck. We love them. Cool, cool, cool. Let's talk 2007. And like I said, we're going to start with CSU football and just kind of go go through the season and talk about, you know, what happened. This was a Rams team that in the end they finished 3 and 9 and and they had to win their final two to even make that happen. So, really a tough year, you know, when you start 0 and 6 at one point and then you know you're 1 and 9, it's 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 really I mean, is is there any other way to put it other than tough, disappointing, awful? You know, it's it's just a truly brutal experience as a player, as a fan. However you want to look at it, the the odd thing is I really think that team was a lot more talented than the record indicated. You know, you had Caleb Haney at quarterback, had to battle some injuries, but, you know, you had an experienced quarterback, a guy who ultimately, you know, he went on to have a, a pretty decent career at the next level, albeit, you know, mostly as a backup, but he, you know, played in a NFC championship game when Jay Cutler went down and he actually played pretty good. So, you know, you had a guy who was at least capable at quarterback, however you want to look at it. Garshall Johnson in the backfield. I mean, this was a team that that had some guys that could play a little bit. Kyle Bell as well. They just, they they couldn't seem to get off to the right start and things just kind of compounded from there. You know, you, when you look at the schedule, it's it's really clear that CSU played a difficult schedule. You know, first of all, you got to remember, this was 2007. So this was, you know, before Boise State was in the Mountain West, before Nevada and San Jose State and then Utah State and some of these other programs that all came over from the WAC. But this was before Utah left. This was before TCU left. This was a, a pretty talented Mountain West conference. You know, New Mexico won uh, eight games that year, I believe. So even like even New Mexico was pretty good. Wyoming finished five and seven. When you looked at the Mountain Division in particular, it was it was a tough you know, tough uphill battle for the Rams. On top of that, you know, you host a top Cal team who fizzled a little bit at the end, but especially early was really hot. They they actually made it all the way up to number two in the rankings at one point. One of the better California teams that there's been in recent memory. You had to go to Houston and face a tough Houston team on the road. Actually got up early in that game and just ended up kind of blowing it. Just a lot of a lot of weird stuff and and I'm one of those guys who I really believe in momentum. You know, I'm I'm not saying it it's 
it's not tangible. So I, I get that it, it's not everything. I think sometimes people try to rely on that stuff a little bit too much and just kind of use it as an excuse. But I think anybody that's that's watched sports, experienced sports, understands that it plays a big factor. And when you start the year, you know, you lose week one to Colorado, 31 to 28. So right off the bat, you lose a winnable rivalry game. It's tough. You know, the Rams were they were winning in that game. They were up by 14 in the third quarter and just couldn't get that, you know, final knockout score and see who was able to score 14 points late. Find a way to win. You know, number 10, Cal comes to Hughes Stadium the next week. You actually get down kind of big at one point, losing by 20. Then you come storming all the way back, end up losing by a touchdown to the number 10 team in the country. Already, you know, things are looking it's it's frustrating, but you're looking like a competitive team. Then you go on the road, you face Houston, week three. You get off to a 17-3 lead in that game in the first half. End up, you know, kind of getting steamrolled in the end, losing 38-27. Not steamrolled, that's not fair. You know, you know, you only lost by 11, but considering, you know, you blew a double-digit lead and lost by double digits, it obviously did not end well. After that, you compete hard with a, a really talented TCU team that wins nine games. You lose 24-12. to You're 0-4. But you've been in every single game that you've played in. You've only played one game at home, two, t- two road games against really tough teams, a neutral site rivalry game, and your only home game was against a top 10 t- Cal team. That's just a brutal way to start the season. Yes, you're 0-4, but to, to do it at that way, it's just, I think it's frustrating because you can see that, you know, the talent's there, the ability is there, the potential's there, and you're just not executing. And that's, and that's, kind of when things starting to tighten up. You know, week five, they lose to San Diego State. First point of the season, they lose to a team that finishes with a losing record. Really tight game, you know, 24-20, but they just kind of let it slip away. After that, you absolutely blown out by Air Force 45-21. Even Sonny struggled with Air Force over the years. The Falcons just always seem to have the Rams number. But at that point, now you're 0-6, and things are just looking awful. But you're not as bad as an 0-6 team, and finally you get a chance to play a bad UNLV team kick the living crap out of them 48 to 23. From there, you got to face Utah, another really good team. Then you face BYU, another good team. Then you lose to New Mexico, who, as I said, was still a winning program at that point. All of a sudden, you're one in nine. You've lost four games by four or le- or by seven or less points. And, and you're just looking at yourself feeling like, we can't catch a break. We can't get anything to go our way. Thank God, you know, for Sonny that they were able to rebound and, and beat Georgia Southern, who was actually a D2 team at the time. And then, you know, Wyoming, 36-28 in, in Sonny's final game as the head coach of the Rams. He's able to get that win at Hughes Stadium and in front of the fans. I'm really glad that Sonny at least was able to get that win because, you know, if he would he would have gone out like 2-10, not that it's that much better than 3-9, and nine, but no wins against rivals after... So many missed chances. It just it would have been really heartbreaking. But he did get that final win. You know, he was able to beat, in my opinion, the most important rival. I know the the younger generation will always lean towards CU, but I just I think when you look at everything that's involved with the border war, it's just such a cool matchup. So I'm I'm happy that it at least ended that way, but it kind of raises the question, you know, how bad was this CSU team? And did did they move on a little too early or maybe it was it was the right move? Because like I said, it's it's pretty hard to defend a three and nine record at the end of the day. You know, you are what your record says you are. You are your wins. You are your losses. Anything else is just 
you know, you're just arguing semantics at that point. But when, when you look at this schedule, it's clear, it's clear they were playing significantly more talented teams for the most part, but still managed to compete well. And you had a group of experienced players that clearly never, you know, gave up on their coaching staff. I think there were some rough points around, you know, week five, six, seven, like I said, once you start dropping winnable games and concession, things kind of just start to compound. Maybe things get a little bit sloppy for a couple of weeks. But to rally the way they did and find a way to at least, you know, salvage the season, make it respectable for Sonny. To me, that shows a lot about the type of leadership that those coaches had, the type of relationship that they had established with those players. That those players, you know, they wanted to do everything that they possibly could to, you know, go out and win for Sonny. He's he's just that kind of dude. I don't think anybody that follows CSU football would be surprised by, you know, a saying, hey, this team wanted to win for Sonny. Duh, Sonny was the best. But the reason that I bring it up is I've long wondered what if they brought Sonny back for one more year? What would have happened in that 2008 season? Obviously, you know, Steve Fairchild was able to lead them to the New Mexico Bowl and ultimately get that crazy win over Fresno State where Garchal Johnson just absolutely goes off. One of the best individual performances by a Ram in program history. But given the fact that, you know, CSU was able to rally at the end, given the fact that they lost so many close games, you know, in 2007. What would the Rams have done in 2008? Would Sonny have been able to figure it out with a veteran team? You know, you had Gartrell coming back. You had Corey Sperry coming back. Different quarterback. You lose Caleb Haney. Morton at wide receiver. Some of these guys. Uh, Rayshon Greer, I believe. I think Sonny probably could have done some stuff with that team. In a lot of ways, it, it kind of reminds me of, of what happened with Mike Shanahan in Denver. You have a guy who historically all he has done is one. He's, you know, taken these teams to the highest levels possible after so many coaches before had tried and failed. You're a hero, you know, beloved Mike and Sonny. They both have this going for them with the Broncos and the Rams. Just those guys who who are going to earn a little bit of slack. But then, you know, you kind of see the game start to pass them by a little bit. And I think probably pride gets involved. Two guys who obviously are are brilliant when it comes to scheming and understanding the game of football. But, you know, the game changes a lot. Things progress. And I just think we saw a CSU team that, that kind of failed to evolve a little bit over those last couple of sunny years. But then you started to see him kind of figure it out a little bit at the end of that 2007 season. Would they have been able to build off of that momentum? You know, I've long, I've long wondered the same things with the Broncos and Shanahan. You know, if they, if they hang on to him one more year, does does Cutler break out the next year with Shanahan and they they go on to have a couple of more winning seasons and then he gets to retire on top? Instead, you know, you move on and it ends up being kind of a, a, a bitter exit on, on both accounts. I obviously can't say for certain whether or not, you know, getting another year, Sonny would have been able to lead the Rams to a bowl game or, or Shanahan would have been able to lead the Broncos to the playoffs, but it's just hard not to think about and it's 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 weird it's just hard not to think about an alternate universe in which those guys could have potentially you know redeemed themselves after a couple of losing seasons and then just kind of find a way to go out on top i i really would have loved that for sunny in particular mike got got the chance i think with the redskins to redeem himself uh, andrew mason who i just have a ton of respect for on the broncos beat actually refers to 
uh, some of the stuff that Shanahan did in Washington as his best coaching ever. And I think a lot of that, you know, goes back to ego. Same deal. You know, he, he felt like people had given up on him. Like he, you know, no longer was a viable option in the NFL. So he went and he proved everybody wrong in Washington. Sonny would have known that he was on, you know, the, the block or whatever after the 2007 season going into that 2008 season, he would have known the pressure was there. They, they only had one winning year and it was actually 500 in, in 2005 in the last four years. You know, he, he knows how the, he would have known how the business works. He would have known, you know, he's on the hot seat. I just, I can't help but wonder what would he have been able to do with that group of experienced players? Maybe they're even better than Fairchild because they don't have to learn, you know, a new system or, or maybe, you know, bringing Fairchild in was just the breath of fresh air that the program needed at the time. It's, it's tough to say in hindsight. But just, you know, given everything that, that I've talked about over the last 10 to 12 minutes, I think there's at least a decent chance that Sonny leads that 2008 team to a bowl game. You know, they, they just they win a couple of those games, you know, at the beginning of the season in 07. And maybe it's a completely different year. You just you never know with momentum and, and how that ends up playing out. 13 years later, though, it's it's pretty crazy how fast time has flying it flown by flying i'm struggling with with speaking today but i just i can't believe it's it's really been that long since sunny lubick was head coach of the rams makes me feel old makes me feel really old anyways i just thought it would be fun to kind of run through that 2007 season from a csu perspective and and play the what if game you know it's going to be a weird fall like i said so might as well kind of go through the history books a little bit and revisit some some different stuff going to kind of go over the fairchild era as a whole that one's really interesting to me because i just i he brought in talent you know he recruited pretty well but he just couldn't seem to relate to his players or put it together on the field i don't it was a really weird case and, and bobo you know it was kind of a similar deal he related to his players better struggled in the crunch time McElwain was kind of his own deal. Really weird dude, but just a brilliant, brilliant offensive football mind. And I loved how competitive he was. You know, he was one of those dudes that just, he, he played to win. He didn't play not to lose. And I, and I always respected that. I think that's how everyone should play. But it was fun to go over this sunny stuff before we kind of talk about even more craziness with the 2007 football season. And, and that's everything that happened in the top 25. You know, it was it was a rough year for for Sonny Lubick stands for Ram fans who were you know really hoping that Sonny would be able to turn around and then it was even harder when he ultimately got let go. But at least you know at least they got to experience everything else that happened in this just absurd season. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it all out for you in just a second. But first, let me shout out my sponsors over at DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> With football right around the corner, there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate with the return of football, DraftKings is giving all new users a no-brainer to start the season. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for Week 1, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you'd still cash your bet. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. 
So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. I threw 50 bucks on this. That's the max you can bet. Basically a chance to win a free 40 bucks. That's all I'm saying. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you've got to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Enter the survival pool and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. I got 10 bucks myself. Super, super clutch. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DNVR to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That promo code DNVR to get in on all of the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions, restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also want to shout out our sponsors, MSU Denver Online. If you're not living that college experience at the other institutions due to COVID restrictions, MSU Denver Online is an amazing opportunity you should take advantage of. We have two of our own at DNVR taking courses right now, Ali Monroy and Harrison Wind. You can reach out to them with any preliminary questions you may have, but it's just an awesome, awesome opportunity for a dynamic education right at your fingertips. And, you know, it's a great chance to get this education without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Really, really awesome. Shout out to MSU Denver Online. Make sure that you go check that out. Again, that is MSU Denver Online, an awesome opportunity for an affordable education right at your fingertips. Chaos, baby. Chaos. There's only one way to describe the 2007 season, and that is chaos. Starting in week one, number five, Michigan, loses to Appalachian State. One of the most historic upsets in the history of college football Michigan, you know, starts at number five. By week two, they're not even in the top 25. In the 71-year history of the AP College Poll, this was the largest drop by a team in the top five ever in week one. Just insane. And and the crazy part was this kind of just set the scene for what would end up being just the craziest year of college football ever. Uh, By my count, 10 teams in the top five lost to unranked opponents. Uh, More than, you know, 20 plus top 25 teams being upset in total that season. Just absolutely crazy. Uh, Just briefly, real quick, just going to kind of run down the timeline, talk about some of the the more absurd moments that happened and just kind of give everybody a chance to, you know, remember all of this and then I'll kind of give some final takeaways. But I just thought it would be fun to kind of go through all of this. There are a lot of really good articles on the history of the 2007 college football season. There's also a lot of really good YouTube videos. Uh, In particular, one that I recommend is produced by KTO, and it's just one. It's about a 20-minute video on the craziest college football season of all time. That's what it's called Uh, in 2007, obviously. If if you're looking for more of a visual, I I highly recommend you go check it out. It's fun to kind of see some of the highlights and Sometimes, you know, being able to hear it and see it makes things a little bit easier to retain. But if not, I'm just going to kind of go through it and and I'll give you plenty of stuff that they don't talk about in that video. But if you are looking for something to watch, I do recommend that one. 
So starting week one, number five Michigan loses to Appalachian State at the big house. Everybody shook at the same time, really does a perfect job of setting the scene for what's to come. We move on to week two. Michigan loses at home once again. Oregon comes into the big house, absolutely smokes the Wolverines 39-7. Meanwhile, number 11 Georgia loses to unranked South Carolina at home. An unranked Washington takes down number two twenty ugh, takes down number twenty two Boise State twenty four ten, effectively eliminating any hopes they had at a BCS bowl that season. Week three, number nine Louisville loses forty to thirty four to unranked Kentucky. Kentucky was all over the place this season. They have super highs, super lows, but at this point, they're feeling high. They take down a top ten Louisville team forty to thirty four. Meanwhile, number 21, Boston College. Boston College upsets number 15, Georgia Tech, and an unranked Utah out of the Mountain West absolutely pummels number 411, UCLA, 44-6. After, uh, after Oklahoma State loses to Troy, Mike Gundy also goes on his famous, I'm a man, I'm 40 rant. Can't really blame him. When you lose to Troy 41 to 23, emotions are going to be flaring. Had to at least bring that one up, even though Oklahoma State wasn't that good that year. Number four, week four, I should say. Number 10, Penn State loses to Michigan. Yes, the same Wolverines who just a few weeks before lost Appalachian State and then got absolutely rolled by Oregon at home. They're able to take down number 10, Penn State. The chaos continues. Number 20, Texas A&M, falls to unranked Miami. And number 22, Georgia, upsets number 16, Alabama. In general, th- this was a really cannibalistic year for all the conferences. There were a lot of teams that won 9-10 games that probably were good enough to put themselves in contention for a national championship, but just you know kind of ended up losing really tight games to people in their league. This happened in the Pac-12, happened in the Big 12, and it happened in the SEC Really, really fun to watch how all of this plays out. Week five, though. Week five is when shit really starts to hit the fan. Eight teams in the top 25 lose in week five. Eight in the top 25. That's absolutely insane. Beyond that, four teams in the top 10 lose and three teams in the top five lose. So basically at this point, you've had, you know, a month of football and just throw it all out the window because everything just gets shook the hell up with this absurd week five. You know, starting with the Thursday night game, number 18, South Florida upsets number five, West Virginia. Biggest win in program history for South Florida at this point. Really, really screws up the chance for West Virginia, who, in my opinion, was probably the most talented team in college football. You know, you had Pat White running things, at quarterback, just a really, really athletic team. Nonetheless, they end up losing as the number five team that week. The number four team, Florida, they end up falling as well. Unranked Auburn goes into the swamp, takes them down. Number six, Cal, they're able to win. They beat number 11, Oregon. That's not an upset, but the only reason I'm throwing that in there is to kind of reference how good that Cal team was. Remember, CSU almost beat them. Everything we talked about was sunny. Number three, Oklahoma. They go down as well. So number five, number four, and number three all go down in the same week. Number three, Oklahoma falls 27-24 to an unranked Colorado team. That Buffs team actually was pretty good in 07. They won, uh, beat a couple of good teams. Unranked Florida State beats number 22, Alabama. Unranked Georgia Tech beats number 13, Clemson. 
Unranked Illinois beats number 21 Penn State, and unranked K-State beats number 7 Texas by 20. Finally, unranked Maryland beats number 10 Rutgers by 10. If you're keeping track, numbers teams number 3, 4, 5, 7, and 10 all go down. Chaos, pure chaos. You gotta love it, though. Moving on to week six, the, the absurdity that is the 2007 season continues with an unranked Stanford team going into the Rose Bowl and taking down number two USC 24-23. The year before, they lost like 50-0, to zero, so this was a crazy, crazy upset. The Cardinals were 41-point underdogs. Let that sink in. 41-point underdogs. For comparison, Michigan was only a 34-point favorite over Appalachian State. That's how crazy that this upset happened to be. Just insane. Pure, pure insanity. Uh, I still remember watching, you know, Harbaugh kind of run across the field. Just awesome. Number six, week, move, oh, good lord. Keeping things going with week six. Number 11, South Carolina beats number eight, Kentucky. Don't forget about them, though. Kentucky comes back into it. And an unranked Kansas team beats number 24, Kansas State. Remember Kansas. Kansas ends up being one of the weird Cinderella teams this year that makes it really far. And finally, number 12, Georgia loses to an unranked Tennessee team. Another week where three teams in the top 15 fall to unranked opponents. Week seven, keep it rolling. Unranked Wake Forest beats number 21, Florida State. Number 17, Kentucky, who lost the week before. They take down number one, LSU, in triple overtime. This was one of the craziest college football games that I've ever seen. I, I still remember watching this with my dad in the basement. 43-37. It seems like LSU's title hopes are over at this point, but they, they end up coming back into play, obviously, as they end up winning it all. But just a crazy, crazy game. Kentucky, the SEC in general, just pure up and down every, every single week. You never know what you're going to get. That was just an awesome game. You can watch it on YouTube. I really highly recommend if you, if you haven't seen it. Go check it out. Unranked Louisville beats number 15 Cincinnati. Unranked Iowa beats number 18 Illinois. Two more teams in the top 20 losing to unranked opponents. Week 8, unranked Rutgers beats number 2 South Florida. Remember South Florida a couple weeks before had that huge win over West Virginia? Well, now they lose to an unranked Rutgers team. Unranked Alabama steamrolls number 20 Tennessee. And number 14 Florida beats number 8 Kentucky. So Kentucky all over the place this season they lose then they upset the number one team in the country they're back in the top 10 then they lose to a top 15 florida team 45 37 in a thriller all over the place for kentucky just a really fun team that year number 15 kansas they narrowly beat cu that week to stay undefeated week nine after falling from number two to number 11 in the ap poll south florida falls again this time to an unranked yukon team Meanwhile, number 20, Georgia, upsets number 9, Florida. Florida, who had just beaten a top 10 Kentucky team the week four, they fall out of the top 10 again. And an unranked Mississippi State takes down number 14, Kentucky. As we said, it was a really weird year for Kentucky. Unranked NC State beats number 21, Virginia. Unranked Tennessee takes down number 15, South Carolina. The chaos continues. Week 10, unranked Florida State goes into Boston College, takes down number two team in the country. Boston College had been undefeated at that point. They were just one of those teams that was kind of benefiting from the SEC and some of these other big leagues all cannibalizing each other. 
but they fall to a very, very mediocre Florida State team. And an unranked Virginia team, after losing the week before, takes down number 21, Wake Forest. Week 11. Unranked Wisconsin beats number 11 of Michigan. Remember Michigan? After losing the first two games, they had won seven straight, but they fall here, basically killing any chance they have at a BCS Bowl. Along with that, number one, Ohio State, the number one team in the country, they lose to an unranked Illinois team. That, that should be the end of Ohio State, right? Everybody feels like it's over. No, they're going to be able to sneak back into the title game as well. Week 12, number two, Oregon loses to unranked Arizona. Unranked Arizona, right? The, the week after the number one team lost to an unranked team, the number two team loses to an unranked team. And the week before that, an un, the I'm sorry, I made that really confusing. Week 11, the number two team loses to an unranked team. Week 12, the number one team loses to an unranked team. Week 13, the number two team loses to an unranked team. You get the point. It's just chaos. Oregon loses to Arizona. Unranked Texas Tech beats number three, Oklahoma. And unranked Pitt beats number two, West Virginia. So in week 12, number two, Oregon lost to an unranked team. Number one lost and number three lost. When has that ever happened? That's just absolutely crazy. Week 13, USC, who's the number 11 team, they beat number seven, ASU, screw up their chances at a BCS game. Unranked Arkansas beats number one, LSU 50 to 48, also in triple overtime. LSU only had two losses that season. Both of them were in triple overtime. (laughs) Meanwhile, unranked Texas A&M beats number 13, Texas. And number three, Missouri beats number two, Kansas, 36-28 in a really, really exciting game. I actually remember watching that game live in Kansas with my relatives who are obviously all just stoked to see Kansas be relevant for one time. They had Riesling at quarterback. Just kind of one of those freak years where everything came together for them. Nobody really expected Missouri and Chase Daniel to get to that point either. But Missouri ends up taking that one, disappointing for the people in Kansas. But even they blow it, because when you go to the conference title game, number Missouri's number one team in the country at that point, they end up falling to number nine, Oklahoma, who, as we said, lost to Colorado earlier in the year. And number five, LSU, beats number 14, Tennessee. Unranked Oregon State beats number 18, Oregon. The chaos continues. In the end, we end up with a national title game that fits LSU, who had two losses, first time a two-loss national champion would be crowned since 1960, and they, of course, took down pretty, you know, dominantly uh, a, a pretty good Ohio State team, just putting the cap on what ended up being the weirdest year of all time. You know, we ended up with, you know, a, a blue blood national championship, LSU-Ohio State, but really, you know, if you're a West Virginia, if you're Kansas, if you're Missouri, if you know, you're any of these teams, South Florida, even Rutgers. It's just got to sting when you look back at this 2007 season and, and you think, you know, it it really was there for the taking. You know, if any of those non-traditional powers could have found a way to just run the table, they they would have snuck into the national championship game. I still think even though, even though they lost the Big 12 title game, a part of me feels like Missouri kind of got screwed in, in this entire situation. But that's that's why you got to win your conference title game, I guess, you know. But man, what a crazy year. Looking back and, and going through all this was a blast. It also made me kind of sad because, you know, it, it's just 
more reality setting in that there isn't going to be college football for CSU football fans this year. But it, it was also kind of nice because it, it just it reminded me why I love college football so much in the first place. I love the atmosphere, you know, going on YouTube and watching some of these games, seeing, you know, the crowd for LSU Florida, you know, earlier in the year or Kansas, Missouri, or even, you know, I watched a little bit of that Missouri, Oklahoma game. I watched some of the Oklahoma, Colorado game, all of these teams, you know, Tebow at Florida. It was just a really great time to be a college football fan. And, and really it's always a great time to be a college football fan. I, I understand that the, the playoff has frustrated some folks because we've just ended up with a situation where it, it feels like we just get Bama and Clemson every single year. And, and that, that can get kind of boring after a while. I, I will argue that, you know, they, they've, clearly been the best two teams and the games have all been really fun to watch. So I, I don't know why you know people would hate it, but I do kind of miss just some of the, the unpredictability. I feel like the last couple of years have gotten just a little more predictable. I think schools have really refined their scheduling so that they know, you know, who are elite programs that we can schedule and still potentially be, you know, who are resume building programs. We should schedule all that type of stuff. But man, I love college football. I just, I love it so much. <laughs> and I know you guys do too. You know, you listen to the podcast. So thank you to you guys. Thank you to everybody. If, if you missed my interview with Ed Werder, please go check that out. Huge thanks to him for coming on and talking his Colorado roots, talking Michael Gallup, all that stuff. It was just such a trip that I was able to get him on. You know, check out the DNVR locker. We've got a ton of new dope merch coming out for the Nuggets and Avalanche playoff. Uh, we will get more CSU gear. Um, we actually, we had plans for a new Ram shirt this fall, but with no football season, I kind of had to put it on the, on the back burner for the time being, but we will get more CSU gear eventually. Make sure you check out everything else though. Go Nuggets, go Avalanche. Shout out to all you.